Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a form? But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Today's episode of the Every Girl Podcast is brought to you by Cove, the premier online treatment platform for migraine sufferers. Did you know women make up 85% of migraine sufferers? I am one of them. And if you're anything like me and tired of dealing with migraines, visit withcove.com to set up a quick online consultation today. Filling out the survey was so eye-opening and helpful for me to identify frequency, severity, triggers, and other symptoms I experience with my migraines. And it was such a relief to be able to talk to a doctor that specializes in migraines. And I got a prescription medication delivered to my doorstep, plus other supplements to help keep my migraines at bay, all from the ease and comfort of my own home. To book your own virtual consultation and get the treatment you need to stop the pain, Visit www.withcove.com backslash everygirl today. Welcome back to the Every Girl Podcast. I hope you're all having a lovely day. Elena, I know you are especially excited for this episode because it's our first career profile on the podcast. Yes, I am. I am so excited. Career profiles were such a huge part of the Every Girl site since it launched 10 years ago. Our mission with Career Profiles was to get insider access to amazing women doing amazing things. So, you know, whether they're at the top of their field or they started a business or they have what some people might perceive as a dream job, we wanted to ask the questions that you would only get if you sat down with them, like for a networking lunch or something like that. I mean, personally, I definitely did not start out in my career with a large network, people I could get advice from. And I had so many questions and no one to answer them. So these career profiles are our way to democratize access to that advice for everyone. Yeah, you can think of these career profile episodes as if you got to sit down to coffee or lunch date with someone whose career you admire. So you're getting all of the advice, insight, and tips you would want to know about success and following your passions. And Shiza Shahid, the co-founder and CEO of the cookware brand, Our Place, is the perfect first career profile. Our Place is the brand behind one of the most beloved products we've ever recommended on the Every Girl site. And honestly, one of the most loved products on the internet. It's the Always Pan. In addition to co-founding Our Place, Shiza also co-founded the Malala Fund, and she also started her own venture capitalist fund, Now Ventures. Her resume and how she's changing the world is beyond comparison. Yes, she is so impressive. Truth be told, we were both pretty nervous going into this interview. Okay, full disclosure, you guys, this was actually the first interview we ever did for the podcast. So I was so nervous. Like half of the interview is me rambling or stuttering and we had to cut it out. (laughs) No, no, you did great. You are being too hard on yourself. But yes, we did have to do a lot of editing, not just on you. It was mutual. Of course, it um, you kind but, of thing. <laughs> totally. But, you know, regardless, uh, besides us, um, Shiza shares so much tangible advice about being a CEO, shifting career paths, and approaching business in a meaningful way and a philanthropic way. So let's get into it. Also, stay tuned until the end to get a special discount code to our place and find out how you can enter a giveaway for your very own Always Pan. Without further ado, please welcome Shiza Shahid to the Evergirl Podcast. Thank you again for joining us. We are so excited to talk with you. 
we know you have a lot of advice to offer all of our listeners. So let's start at the beginning. You grew up in Pakistan. What was your childhood like and what did you learn or experience from your childhood that contributed to who you are today? Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I really respect the work that you do to just share lessons between and among women who are doing things in the world and making a difference. Thank you. I grew up in Pakistan and I had a good childhood. I was born into a loving family that gave me the very best education that they could afford and that gave me a lot of freedom to figure out my purpose in life. I was also born into a country that is incredibly diverse, incredibly beautiful, has mountains and deserts and lots of different languages and subcultures and amazing food and traditions and hospitality. But at the same time, I was also born into a country that is very poor, that has a tremendous amount of poverty that at the time that I was growing up was impacted by war. Pakistan is most of you will know, neighbors of Afghanistan. And at the time, the war in Afghanistan and the fact that Pakistan and Afghanistan share such a porous border meant that there was a lot of instability in, in my country as well. Terrorist attacks, suicide bombings. I watched barricades go up in my hometown. And I also grew up in a country where opportunities for women are, are very, very limited. And there's a very high rate of violence against women. And of course, there's no country in the world, even today, where women have full equity. But of course, there are differing degrees of, of opportunity and safety. And Pakistan is ranked the second worst place to be born a woman. So I think for me, my childhood was really sort of seeing this juxtaposition of the life and the opportunities that I was given and the fact that so many other women and girls were not as fortunate simply by the lottery of birth. And as an incredibly curious and passionate young person, I wanted to understand what was going on in the world around me and how I could contribute. And so at a young age, I began doing the only thing I could think of. I would show up at the doors of nonprofits and ask them to let me volunteer. And I couldn't do much, but I, I started out carrying medical supplies into a women's prison there was a nonprofit setting up medical camps for the women because there were no female doctors. So many of the women would not come forward if they were unwell because they didn't feel comfortable going to male doctors. From there, I started writing case studies for an organization that was providing women microloans along with microenterprise training. And over and over again, I was struck by the power of women to lift themselves out of poverty if given the opportunity to be entrepreneurial. When you invest a dollar into a woman, she invests 80 to 90% of that back into her family and community. It's typically 30 to 40% for men. So if there's a silver bullet in ending poverty, it, it really is economically empowering women. And these were the kinds of experiences that I was having in my childhood that would really inform the way that I saw the world as I grew and ventured out of my home country. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I want to ask, because I heard you on another podcast, talk about your mother. I'd love to hear a bit about the role she had in that liberating, that forward thinking, that empowering of, of you as her daughter, when, like you said, so many women around you at the time maybe weren't awarded that opportunity. Could you shed a little light on that? My mother was born into a very traditional family where she was told from a young age that she would not get to pursue a career or higher education, that her only options in life were to be a wife and a mother. She was married to my father when she was 19 years old, met him for the first time on their wedding day. But fortunately, they were a pretty incredible couple and they had a shared vision for their life in which they would give their children the very best opportunities that they could afford. So they traveled, they built their lives, they sent their children to the very best schools, even as their extended family questioned those choices and said, oh, your children will become too Western and you know they'll lose their values. They put everything into our education. And my mother, she expressed sort of her love in these ways 
that, you know, I now understand she would, for example, never let me into the kitchen when she was cooking. And part of me thought it was because she was afraid of, you know, the hot oil and, you know, just not having children around. But that continued as I grew older and older. And I look back at it now and I realize that the kitchen was a place that she had been forced to spend so much time because she was cooking first for her family of birth. And then uh, she got married and she was cooking and she was so smart and so strong-willed and someone who in any other set of circumstances would have been, you know, the CEO of a Fortune 500 business. Um, And so she didn't want her children to be pulled into that same domesticity that had stifled her. And now today she runs an orphanage and she's living her best life and pursuing her dreams. But you know, growing up, I think she really was pushing us out to study hard, to build our education. And of course, fast forward in my life, I moved halfway across the world and my mother had never taught me to cook and I couldn't feed myself. And I felt deeply disempowered by the fact that I couldn't cook. And I started to go on this journey learning to cook to make those recipes that she used to and to feel closer to my roots. And that's really, it was really through that process that I came to realize that there wasn't a brand that celebrated our traditions, that made cooking easier, that was designed for the ways in which we cook and live, which would spark the idea for our place. Thank you for sharing that. She sounds incredible. It's really interesting how empowerment looks different for different generations, like how it was almost very opposite of for your mom cooking, being in the kitchen was something that had maybe been oppressive, but for you, it was something that connected you to your roots and your home and something that felt freeing for you. Like that's really a fascinating idea. Where do you think your your parents did have that idea of like, we're going to leave behind maybe the traditions, maybe the the mindsets that our family had raised us in and had the, I guess, idea to raise their children differently because that's really amazing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it came from a sense of their own ambitions, not having been given the space to thrive early in their lives. And you know, later on, they, they did many things that I and they are both very proud of, but I think they saw that sense of their ambition being cut short. And so for my mother, she would always say, I'm very ambitious for my children and their education. And I think it's because she didn't get to do that. So she wanted to make sure that that her children did. Right. That it's her ambition for you, like manifesting it itself in her children, which is so amazing. I mean, that's such a beautiful story. I know you talk about moving across the world. I'm sure that was the craziest change. I mean, I moved to California from Chicago and that was hard for me. So I can only imagine moving across the world, different countries, different continents. What was that move like for you besides just even the adjustment of obviously the culture shock, the, you know, having to learn to cook and and all those things. But what was that like for you really to, to move when you went to Stanford and have this whole new life than you were used to? Yeah. You know, America does a great job exporting its culture. And so I grew up watching Friends reruns a couple of years later when they would finally be rerun on sunny television. And so it wasn't so much the culture shock, although of course there are many differences, a lot of which I think actually center around food and gathering and community and traditions. I moved to the United States on a scholarship to Stanford University. And so that really transformed my opportunities in life because here I was this middle-class Pakistani girl who, you know, could never have afforded to go to a, a school like Stanford. But this wonderful woman, Susan McCall and her family had endowed Stanford with a fund for international students because Stanford was not need blind. And so if you're applying for, for international students, if you're applying as an international student and asking for a scholarship, You've got to pass the entry hurdle, but you've also got to pass the, we've only got a couple of scholarships and are you going to get one of them to actually get in? And so she had endowed the scholarship and I got to come here and go to go to college at Stanford. And it really transformed my opportunities in life, which then allowed me to pay it forward to support other women and girls. And so I always think back to that opportunity that I was given and and what happens when you really 
make a seat at the table for someone else. And I got to go to the same college that her children did. She wasn't saying, you know, here's this girl, I'm just going to give her, you know, a scholarship to go to a school in her home country. She was saying, I'm going to make it possible for her to come to the same school that my children will go to. And, and so that spirit of generosity where we give not just charity, things we don't want, things that are not good enough for us, but where you say you deserve a seat at the same table that I'm at. That's really what, what I think transforms outcomes. Wow. And I mean, we're going to get into your incredible career, but if there's anyone who's paid it forward, it's you. It's That's really amazing how that's all unfolded as a result of that scholarship. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So it's so interesting how what you just said, like that's a, a huge piece that I really want to like dive into because the idea of it's not just like, I'm going to give, but I'm going to give in a way that I would give my own family, that I would give the people in my life. I think that's a really important lesson for a lot of people, for sure for myself. That's a really incredible, profound way to view service through that lens of, you know, not just like, how can I give to people, but how can I give to people in a way that's actually offering them a seat at the same exact table or an opportunity at the same college you would send your kid? Like that is a a really amazing way to kind of understand advocacy and service. So I, I love that lesson. So just to pivot a little bit, a big part of what we talk about the at the Evergirl obviously is providing inspiration and content and helping those women who are like around 22, 23, when they're figuring out their lives, like helping them feel heard, helping them feel inspiration for what's next because it's such a pivotal life change that's really scary around that time. So take us back through after you kind of finished Stanford, what were you doing? Who were you? What were you wanting? What were your aspirations? What was kind of your next steps? Yeah. You know, at Stanford, I was exposed to startups for the first time where I had grown up. There wasn't really a startup ecosystem. I didn't see women entrepreneurs around me. And so I had really only imagined my career through the nonprofit model and through government because those were the industries that existed in the town that I was raised in, where I had seen women. And at Stanford, I realized, wait a second, I can actually build a business. And if I do that, and that business is rooted in core values, I can actually sometimes have an even bigger impact than what I could do through the nonprofit model or through government. And that was really, really exciting to me. And so I knew I wanted to one day build my own business and build a mission-driven business that had a positive impact and and to prove that that was possible, right? Because a lot of the folks around me were solving the challenges that, that they knew, building food delivery apps and laundry delivery apps and these convenience-driven startups that often lacked diversity, inclusion, sustainability, representation. And so I was becoming really interested in this intersection of impact and business. And that's why when I graduated, I took my first job out of college at McKinsey, which at the time was widely regarded as the best business consulting firm. I knew I wanted to be closer to home. So I asked them to move me out to Dubai and moved there and you know, thought I would go down that path of getting the full McKinsey training, going to business school, getting my resume nice and thick. And then maybe one day doing my own thing. But about a year into my time there, my friend Malala Yousafzai was shot by the Taliban. And that turned my world upside down once again. And I was with her and her family. And thankfully, she recovered. And I realized through that experience that I couldn't go back to my spreadsheets and my five-year plan. And ended up quitting my job, moving to New York with a suitcase and starting an organization with Malala and her father called the Malala Fund, was the founding CEO and helped stand that organization up that now does really impactful work helping girls around the world access an education. And it really forced me at a young age to become an entrepreneur a lot earlier than I had planned. Um, you know, I was building a nonprofit, but a lot of the same lessons and and it also really taught me the power of telling a story that inspires real change, that shifts culture, that gets people to care about an issue. Um, and those are lessons that I've really taken with me in, in how I'm building our place today. So 
That is just, I mean, incredible. You So you had to have been 23, 24 when all of this was happening? It was 22, yeah. Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> and just the three of you. Can you speak a little bit about what those days were like? Like what, what does that even mean to anyone interested in that space, starting a nonprofit? What goes into that? Starting anything is hard. And, you know, starting something is not always the right decision. Sometimes I think we can really sort of idolize founders in this culture. And I, I don't think that to be entrepreneurial, you have to start something. I think you can be an entrepreneur inside an organization. My team are some of the best entrepreneurs I've ever met. They start things from scratch every single day and figure it all out. And they're entrepreneurs, right? They're inside, they're not starting, you know, something outside of our place, but you can be an entrepreneur within a place as long as there's space for you to do that. You can have a massive impact through your volunteer work, through joining an existing cause. But with the Malala Fund, we did start our own organization and it felt like the right thing to do because it was so clear what we wanted to do. And because it was so important, and I'll speak from my perspective. To me, that Malala's story and her work be hers and that her story not be used by someone else for their work, as is almost always the case when women of color are victimized, people will express a lot of sympathy, put them on the cover of a magazine, and then forget about them and and use and co-opt that story for their own use. And so from my perspective, as someone who loved Malala and her family, I wanted to protect and I wanted to build for her. And so A, we had a clear reason for why this organization was different from what existed. And B, I just think Malala as a leader of her own organization was a really important thing. And so we started this organization and it's been, you know, one of the most gratifying things I've I've been a part of. I'm very proud of the work that the organization has done and continues to do. And I'm also just very proud to see all the young women who are inspired by Malala and her authenticity and her courage and the impact that she's had. Absolutely. It's it's incredible work you did then and that it continues to do, the, the product of all of that. So congratulations. I mean, it's really inspiring and empowering and I know motivates a lot of people out there to make a change and know that maybe they can too. I was just going to chime in and say, I feel like, you know, we have this concept of like change the world and that gets kind of overused. Like, what does that even mean? But from my perspective, the Malala Fund has been something that I have seen has like actually changed the world, which is the most amazing impossible feat. So absolutely congratulations. And thank you for all of your amazing work. So jumping a bit ahead again, after your time with the Malala Fund, you set out to start your own venture capital fund, Now Ventures, and then again went on to launch the e-commerce startup, Our Place. I believe all before the age of 30, correct me if I'm wrong, that is incredible. A lot of our readers and listeners find themselves a few years in or even decades into a career and would love to make a change, but they feel lost or uncertain as to how to make such a big pivot. What did that process and timeline look like going from one of these amazing companies to the next? And what advice can you offer for anyone looking to change the course in their own career? You know, changes can be big and changes can be small and they don't have to be big. Again, it doesn't have to be, you know, leave a place, start a new thing, change fields, but it could be. And I think that ultimately we come from this time in education where you, you know, you joined college, you picked a major, and then you went from that major into a career that tied to that major. And then you climbed the ladder for 30 years, probably in the same organization. That is just not the world today. And in fact, you know, people will sometimes say, what, what was your major in college? And I just think it's such a... When they're trying to assess like how my career path tied neatly to my major. And I just think that's not the way anything works. Now, of course, if you're a heart surgeon, I really hope that you went to medical school and practiced for many, many years, right? So there are technical fields that function in that exact way. But for a lot of us, the skills that we take from 
the different roles is deeply transferable, right? Skills like how to be a good manager, how to be a compassionate leader, how to be an effective communicator, how to think through problems, how to ask good questions, how to create a PL, how to understand how to build a budget. Like those things you can take from so many different fields and transfer them really, really easily. And in fact, the things that I think really make someone effective are almost identical, right? How do you treat people? How do you collaborate? How do you show up? How do you set strategy? How do you work through difficult things? Like those are the most important things in, in many, many functions. And so I think just really knowing what your strengths are and knowing that if you do possess those strengths, that there are many other places that you could apply them. And also just not being afraid to ask for that opportunity. I mean, if anyone on my team was working in a function and came to me and said, you know, I love working here, I'm learning a ton, but I've always been interested in this other area which happens all the time, by the way. And in fact, when we bring people on, we'll often ask like, what do you want to do next? How do we help you get to what you want to do next? And many people will say, I want to build a company next. And it's like, okay, well, let's expose you to other areas of the business, right? One of our star team members is in one team and is really passionate about joining the growth team. And so they're now getting that exposure outside of their team with that goal in mind. And so whenever someone comes to me, as long as I know that they're passionate and committed, they want to do something else. Amazing, right? I need great leadership in every area of the business. So once you have a grasp of what that is, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to put it out there, right? I'm really interested in making this pivot. Let me know if there's any opportunities to get exposure there. And you might be surprised by by just sort of what comes back from that. Thank you to Cove for sponsoring today's episode of the Every Girl Podcast. Anyone out there who suffers from migraines knows how debilitating and straight up miserable they are. I've gotten them for a few years now, and when one kicks in, it's like my life stops. I can't work. I miss social functions. I struggle to even take care of my kids. Instead, I'm stuck in bed with an ice pack over my eyes, close to tears, just wishing it would stop. Fortunately, Cove is an online migraine clinic that provides start-to-finish migraine care. I was able to input my medical history and symptoms, previous medications and treatments, and meet with a doctor who specializes in migraines. The best part is it's all online. They provided me with a personalized and affordable treatment plan and delivered my prescription medication right to my doorstep. Head to www.withcove.com backslash everygirl today to book your own virtual consultation and get the treatment you need to stop the pain and get back to living. We always asked that question when doing career interviews about what did you major and what was that first job out of college? Because per Josie's earlier point about that, that when you're really setting out into the world on your own, it's like what you're told is like, oh, you have to make this decision and this is going to set the course for the rest of your life. And I think the more that lesson can be shared and said, the better, the more that people can be reassured, like it is possible to make that change. You're not what you study in college isn't set for the next 30 years of your life. I love that advice though about really defining what you're passionate about and and what your strengths are and seeing how you can apply that. That's such good advice. Yeah, I love how it's it's actually very tangible what you just said of like, if you are interested in something else, to be able to look within the current opportunity you have of like, where can I gain these skills from this? Because what you learn in college doesn't have to define you know, your learning doesn't stop there. So that was such amazing, really, really tangible advice. Do you have any advice for people who maybe work in a company where they can't say, you know, oh, I'm interested in doing something else, but I would like to learn these skills? Like, is there any kind of concrete advice that you've learned over the years of how to, if you know you want to pivot, if you start knowing, okay, my my skills maybe are more like this, but I'm not being able to practice them in my current position, how to pivot in a way while you're still at the position you're in? with a boss that maybe you can't say as you are like, I you know, want to start my own company someday. Like, is there any advice for people in that situation? Yeah. I mean, I would say there's definitely a lot of like courses and maybe like choosing, you know, 
I want to be a content creator. Like, can you sign up for one or two courses? A lot of it is free. A lot of companies, us included, have learning and development budgets that you can apply towards that. And then I think from there, like, you know, if you're not getting that opportunity in-house, then you probably are looking for that opportunity externally. So how do you start to make it known externally that you can do this? Whether that's starting to create your own content or writing some articles and getting them published or putting it on your LinkedIn profile, like, you know, so-and-so seeking opportunities in X, reaching out to people on LinkedIn and introducing themselves. Here's who I am. Here's my skill sets. Here's what I've achieved. Here's what I'm hoping to do. Do you have a role open for me? So I think just like being really proactive and putting it out there. And, you know, I think we can sometimes be afraid of asking because we think we're going to get rejected. But I, and I'm certainly guilty of this, but I try and remind myself every time you don't ask, it is also a no. We can over-index those no's we get when I ask you something. But what about the time I didn't ask you and I just said no myself? I think really starting to count those two so that you do feel like, okay, I asked 100 people, 99 said no, one said yes. That's still a victory. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such good advice. That's amazing advice. So what I love so much is that there are ways to educate yourself, to identify this is what I want to do. These are the skills I have. How do I continue my growth, my learning? And there's a thousand and one ways to do that. At what point did you feel like, okay, I'm ready to found this new company, to start making the products? Like, What was that first start of our place for you like? Yeah, it's never that neat and tidy. You're never like, all right, I have arrived at this place where I can do this thing perfectly. Um, So I, I definitely don't encourage waiting for that feeling. For us at our place, our place has always been a true labor of love, right? That is what the business is founded on. I'm an immigrant. My partner is an immigrant. For both of us, we we found our place in America by cooking and sharing food and having people come over and arguing over whose cooking is better. And we've always believed that there's something incredible about the ways in which home cooking brings people together. We saw that you know a brand that was rooted in cooking and gathering was in fact a brand that could work on the issues that we cared about, like food justice and immigration and building a bigger table. We also saw clear design challenges in how kitchenware and home goods are currently designed. You know, if you walk into any home goods store, any kitchenware store, and you say, you know, I just got my first apartment, you know, and I'm starting to cook, what should I get? They will take you to their 16-piece cookware set and give you a saucier and a stock pot and a saucepan and a saucier, which is literally a pan just to make your sauces in. And so the entire industry, right? And it's all the same product, right? Everyone's making the same thing. And I had grown up with two pots, a round one and a flat one. And the industry designs based on this very professional European chef style of cooking that nobody is actually other than professional European chefs are cooking like. And they make you feel like you're inadequate. Like you, your, your table doesn't look perfect. You're not making a five course meal. You don't have all these thousands of products. Well, you know, you're not really a good cook. And we just wanted to flip that entire design paradigm and say, you know what, here's one pan. It's shallow enough to flip an egg. It's deep enough to make super pasta. It's really lightweight. And it's got a great non-toxic, non-stick coating. So no matter your level of experience, if you eat, you are a home cook, right? People are like, I'm not a good cook. No, if you eat, you're a home cook. You can fry some eggs. You can reheat some frozen pizza. That's still cooking. That's still making something with your hands. That's still choosing to create something that delights you and nourishes you and maybe share it with someone you love. And so that was what our place was always about, designing products that made cooking easier and designing products that also made cooking and gathering more joyful, right? I shared how my mother never taught me to cook because for her, she hadn't had joy. It was never choice. For me, it was my choice. I got to come here and learn to cook to honor my heritage, to nourish myself, to connect with my chosen family. 
And so we wanted to bring joy into this space that is so important, right? We think about industries like makeup and fashion, and we think that those are industries of self-expression, but nothing is more tied to self-expression than home cooking, right? You can see me right now. I'm wearing my my top and my skirt from a Western store. I'm speaking English as fluently as I speak my native language. But right before I hopped on the call, I just made a cup of chai the same way my mother made it, the same way her mother made it. And so when all else falls away, home cooking is at the heart of who we are. And our place is, a, is I think, the, the only brand, I know the only brand, the first brand that was rooted in that, that was rooted in home cooking, not to make you you know, the next Michelin chef, but home cooking to connect you to yourself, your body, your community, your family, your identity. And so as we started to dive into this space ourselves and our own lives personally and saw that there was no brand that resonated, that was rooted in representation, that had a real mission, right? That was working on sustainability and and giving back to causes that we cared about that was actually designing products that made cooking easier, we felt like it just, it had to exist and we had to make it. And that's how we started our place. And so there was never a moment where we sat down and said, we have all the skills. We know exactly how to do it. But what we did say was, this needs to exist. This is important. And we'll do whatever it takes to make this happen. You were called by the mission of it. I feel like you can see that in the end result of the product. It's a team favorite at our company. It's a fan favorite. It's every time it's in the gift guide. I mean, it's just everyone loves it. People go bonkers for it. I renovated my kitchen last year. What did I get? The beige always pan to... (laughs) Gotta have that to leave out. (laughs) To leave out. It was an accessory, but also something I use every day. Thank you. Well, we've got to make sure you all have all the other products. You know, it always comes a product we launched with and that did so well. We realized there was a desire for that same design philosophy. And so we came out with our perfect pot. We recently revealed the beautiful cast iron always pan. We also make gorgeous prep and serve tools. So we have our knife trio that is a set of three knives. It gives you everything you need, you know, from this your serrated knife to your paring knife to your chef's knife, a really gorgeous cutting board, and then beautiful dinnerware that's just designed to be everything from you know your water glass to your wine glass to your ice cream glass. Um, just beautiful basics that are thoughtfully and sustainably designed and that make cooking and gathering easier. They are. And I mean, we're big believers in capsule collections and less is more. And again, very mindful of that person in a small space with a small kitchen with maybe one cupboard. What do you truly need? And like you said, a flat and and a deeper pot. That's that's really all you need. So thank you. Thank you. A very talented product design and development team that's constantly just thinking about how do we make all of this easier and more fun for everyone. So we have some big launches coming this year that we're excited to share. Any sneak peeks you want to give? (laughs) Any sneak peeks? Well, the Castarian just debuted yesterday and it sold out in 20 minutes. So we are working hard to get a replenishment. That's insane. Congratulations. (laughs) We have a wait list up so that our community can get that first. So that's one that, you know, we're excited to, and it's going to come with some more accessories that we're working on as well. And then going into some exciting new categories too. That's so exciting. Selfishly, I'm amped. I know you touch on this a little bit too, because I, I love the functionality that, like you said, bringing fun to it. Like there are so many different elements to our place. And you touched on it a little bit about the mission aspect of it. And obviously it was founded based admission. It wasn't like, let's add on, you know, some charity donations, which is great for companies to do that. But it's, it definitely was rooted in the mission itself. And I think we're just at a really interesting time where more than ever before, companies are now maybe expected to be more involved, to give back. Like now employees are, are wanting to work for companies that only if they have certain values and same thing for consumers. Can you talk a little bit about the intersection of business and advocacy that we're seeing a lot more of and how that applies to, to our place? Because I know that's so central. 
Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. Our place was founded based on a clear mission and a very personal mission, right? I had never seen my traditions represented. Um, I had dealt with what it felt like to not see my food anywhere or see it credited. If it was, if it was seen, it was sort of stripped of its origins, right? It's it's a golden latte, not halidu. And you're like, no, 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 wait, that was that's from my people. Like, let's you didn't make you didn't invent that on Melrose. You know, there was a sense of like, we can do better. We can we can celebrate the work that communities have done over generations to teach us how to cook and eat and gather and celebrate. Um, and that's just so much more interesting than the way we tell stories now, where we sort of smush the majority of culture into a single aisle in the grocery store or a single column in the magazine. There was also, you know, I had dealt with severe challenges around immigration in my family, still do. And what it felt like to be told that there was no place for people like us. And so I had seen sort of the best and the worst and wanted to create a brand that was rooted in inclusion and building a bigger table. It's literally in our name, our place. Whose place is it? Who's welcome at our place? Is it our place to speak up? Those were the questions we were asking from day one. And if you scroll down to the very first photos on our Instagram feed, those photos, our first photo shoot, it was in not, you know, in the Hamptons with models. It was in South Central LA with food justice activists. And, and you'll know this, of course, since you've spent time in LA and, and understand the disparities here, but South Central LA is, is a part of LA that still has food deserts. And we took these gorgeous photographs of these incredible food justice leaders who were challenging everyone to do better and were working for access to healthy food in their communities. And we hosted our first launch event in the parking lot of what used to be a liquor store in South Central LA that had been transformed by the daughter of the owner, Hank's daughter, Kelly, into one of the only healthy grocery stores in the community and brought together food justice leaders and influencers and investors with the community to show the work that was happening there. And so I say all of that to say we showed up in this very clear way from day one and you know, people will still say to me that when we launched, it was the first time they had seen black and brown hands against high-end cookware and how much it meant to them. And so that's that's sort of, I think, very much the soul of, of what our place is. And for us, we've always thought about impact as not one thing, right? And and I I look at sort of the the Tom's shoes model, which I, I call sort of impact 1.0 where it was like, you buy a shoe, you give a shoe, right? And I, I do think that had its place in really bringing impact into the conversation. But then of course, you know, the community was like, well, like, does everyone need all these shoes? And what about your representation and your board composition and your environmental impact and et cetera, et cetera. And let's look under the hood beyond sort of the giving of the shoe. And so for us, we've always tried to just make impact part of everything that we do. And rather than it being one thing, it's everything, whether that's sourcing our products thoughtfully or sustainably, using a portion of recycled materials in our products, packaging our products in fully biodegradable materials, offsetting our carbon footprint by supporting reforestation projects, building a team that is extremely diverse, building a culture that we're proud of, you know, telling stories at further representation. We celebrated 34 holidays on our channels last year from, you know, Ramadan to Shabbat, Nowruz to Noche Buena. Those are the kinds of choices that we're trying to make so that as we grow as a business, we're just having a slightly kinder impact in the world. Wow. You really have an amazing example of how having a business can not only just go hand in hand with, I don't want to generalize and say making the world a better place, but that there's so many different pieces of it. Like it, it is the diversity and inclusion. It is the environmental aspect, like all the different ways that you're doing that. It's not just going hand in hand with having a business and making money and selling products. It's like so integrated in it that they can't be one without the other, that they go together and they're you know, can't be one without the other. So I think our place is the most amazing example of that. 
Thank you. Well, you know, I think that at our place, we try really hard. And, you know, I think we actually talk publicly far less than what we actually do. No place is perfect. No business is perfect. But I think you can try really, really hard to do the very best that you can and just treat every choice as a chance to do better. And if you can do that, not just, and this is not just something I do, right? This is a, this is something that every team member does. And when, you know, our creative director is casting a photographer, she's thinking, well, can I give someone who is brilliant, but perhaps, you know, not given this opportunity? Can I look at representation, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera? You know, when our packaging a lead is designing packaging. She's not just thinking about cost. She's also thinking about sustainability and materials, right? And how to optimize the packaging so that we can fit more in every container, which decreases our carbon footprint. And so it really is just something that I think can't only be at the top. How do you build a team that cares as deeply and how do you empower them to make those better choices in the work that they do? I love that. And I'm so glad to hear you talk about building a team because I I definitely have some questions I'd love to ask about that. In another interview, you said something along the lines of half your time as a CEO is often spent on hiring, which again, maybe that was before. I'm not sure if that's still, but I personally can relate to that a lot. It made me laugh. And I just have some questions on behalf of fellow business owners and hiring managers out there. And also for everyone listening who's maybe trying to get their foot in the door at a company or their dream job, but they might be struggling to do so. What makes a candidate stand out in the application or interview process for you? And how do you ensure someone is that right culture fit for your company and shares those values? Do you have a go-to question or two that you ask? We've obviously brought in some a lot of amazing humans into our place and it's a range of things. I think, you know, coming into an interview prepared, right? How passionate are you? How excited are you really about this opportunity? And I think that can really show what do you know about the business? What do you know about maybe the person that you're speaking to? And are you making an effort to connect and to show how excited you are? I think another thing that's really helpful is specificity, right? You're often going into an interview 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, and you're trying to understand like, how would this person actually work? What would they do? What's their decision-making and problem-solving process like? And I found that sometimes like people who are very specific, you can really get to that detail a lot faster versus someone who's speaking more in generalities. Because, you know, sometimes you can speak well in generalities and just be a really, really good at speaking in generalities. But when you really dive in and you share examples, right? So we really improved our site conversion when we did X. And this is why I think that happened, right? Versus like, oh, I like to work on conversion rate improvements. So getting into like actually walking people through scenarios, I think is really impactful for certain projects, for certain roles at our place, we will give projects and we will always pay people for their time for these projects. And so that can be a really great way to like actually work with someone and see, you know, what ideas they come up with and see that they understand what they'll be doing here. And, and I think projects are places where you can really see someone's level of effort and passion shine through. And some of, you know, I still like, I still remember some of the projects that and reference them all the time. And some of them actually turned into you know, we brought in the person and they became the basis of something that we actually did. And so I think being specific, being prepared and being willing to really show your passion and commitment, because at the end of the day, most of what most of us do is not rocket science. And what you really want to know is, is this person going to care a lot? Are they going to be really kind and compassionate? Are they going to be thoughtful? Are they going to be a good team member? Are they going to eventually be a good manager when they hire their own team? Those are the things that you're really looking for that really, really matter. What is one key takeaway, tangible action step that you could give our audience to find their purpose in life, to act on their purpose, to find a career that they feel fulfillment in and purpose-driven? And if you had kind of like one key takeaway, what would you give? I think just showing up, I think, you know, find your passion, change the world. These are very overwhelming statements. You don't have just one passion. You're probably not going to 
single-handedly change the world. Nobody has, not even the people we think have. They always did it with large communities and teams. So maybe just, you know, see what you're drawn towards, see what you keep thinking about, what gets you fired up and just show up and be open to where that leads. A lot of the biggest things that I've done started as the smallest things that I've done, carrying supplies into a camp, hosting a summer camp for girls who are being denied their right to go to school, um, reaching out to somebody who wanted to get an education. Like I had no idea that any of those things would become the things that they eventually became, but having faith and knowing that when you show up, really important things can happen and it can lead to big changes in your life and just, you know, taking that first step. I love that. Thank you. That is so helpful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Shiza. It was such a pleasure sitting down and chatting with you today. To wrap it up, we would love to ask you some of our favorite rapid fire questions. Favorite thing to cook with your always pan? I would say my chicken karahi, which I shared a recipe for in the New York Times. That sounds amazing. All-time favorite movie? My Love Don't Cross the River. It's a Korean film that's just beautiful. Best piece of advice you've ever received? Think about what the worst is that can happen. When I was quitting my job to start the Malala Fund, one of my friends said, and I was still deliberating, he said, what's the worst that can happen? And as, I, as we talked through it, I realized the worst case wasn't as terrifying and it gave me the courage to move forward. So what's, you know, really when you're afraid thinking, what really is the worst that can happen? And is it that scary? That's such good advice. That's so crucial. Last one, leave our audience with a book, a TV show, a resource, a podcast, anything that you'd recommend that changed your life or resonated with you. So many. I think a book that I've really loved that I feel is not read very much is Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And it talks about the ways in which societies today are disconnected and how that's leading to unhappiness. And I just found that book really compelling. Amazing. Sounds so good. Well, thank you so much, as It was such an honor to have you. Um, where can everyone find you? Kind of shout out your Instagram, your company, give us all the details where people can find you. Yes, please follow Our Place on Instagram and TikTok at Our Place. And I'm also on Instagram at Shiza. And check out our website at www.fromourplace.com. We will. And we'll have all of that linked for you in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming today, making the time. We love talking with you. Thank you, Shiza. I really enjoyed connecting with you both. And thank you so much. Wait, before you go, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know why you're loving the show. We'll pick five names randomly to win an always pan in the color of your choice. Plus, Our Place is offering the Evergirl podcast listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off the entire site with code Evergirl. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.